It's Easter Sunday and it would be a travesty, a crime. It would probably be really wrong for us not to read something concerning the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go to the gospel writer called John, St. John. Some of you have it in your Bible of St. John. And I want you to get your Bible. It's going to be on screen, but if you can get your Bibles, whether you turn to it or click to it, if it's on your device, uh, the other, hopefully the other device you're using. And let's read this scripture together. I want us to realize something before we go any further. And every Christian especially should remember this. What we're reading, the gospels, the gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels are actually a collation don't forget, it's not just the Bible. They're not just the Gospels. They're a collation of eyewitness, eyewitness accounts of what took place during Jesus' life, his death, burial, and his resurrection. These men who gave these eyewitness accounts, these records for us, this is not just the Bible. I, I, I'm using that because I know sometimes we just think it's just the Bible, a nice storybook. And no, it's far more than that. These are eyewitness accounts. And these men stuck by their accounts so much, they were prepared to be killed for what they believed and what they told us. Some of them were boiled in oil. Some of them were crucified upside down. By the time they got to the end of their life, that was the punishment they received because they refused to deny or denounce Christ. They refused to pull back their eyewitness accounts. So whenever we read these things, I want us to read them almost like they're court documents, almost like they're uh, court documents presented to us to give us the evidence of the fact that Jesus really did die. He really did rise from the dead. This is not haphazard. This is not uh, uh, just something that sounds glorious and fantasiacal. This is actually fact because these guys, a plethora of guys gave these eyewitness accounts. Let's jump into St. John. Let's go, jump into John. John was actually the youngest of the disciples traditionally. Traditionally, we believe that John was the youngest of the disciples and Peter was probably the oldest. And it's interesting what we're going to read in a minute about them. But before we read about Jesus's resurrection, I want us to read about another raising of the dead, another person who was, who was raised from the dead by Jesus. His name was Lazarus. And some of you who know Bible, know Christianity, will be familiar with it. Some of you might not be, but it's all here in the Gospel of John. So we're going to go to John chapter 11, John 11 and verse 43. John 11 and verse 43. Let's read what it says. It says this, when he had said this, watch this now, Jesus called in a loud voice. This guy Lazarus was dead. And Jesus, of course, is about to raise him from the dead. Lazarus is dead. He's been in his tomb, his grave, his cave for several days, a few days now. And Jesus comes. He's a friend of the family. Jesus comes having been sent for. And he comes and asks them, where is the tomb? And this is what Jesus does. He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I'm reading in the NIV here. It says the dead man came out, his hand and feet, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off. The first thing Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Those were the grave clothes. That's what they wrapped and embalmed and put people in, of course, in their society who had passed on. They put them in these strips of linen. And this is interesting to me that Jesus focuses on them taking off the grave clothes. Let's go now to uh, John chapter 20, John chapter 20. And I'll read a few verses from here before we teach a little bit just today for our reflection. John chapter 20, verse three to eight. The Bible says this, watch this now. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, but were running. Were running. Look at this. 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. This is John. John is the other disciple here. The same John who's written this particular gospel. So he started running for the tomb. Watch this now. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen. This is now Jesus's resurrection. Jesus's empty tomb. We fast forwarded right the way through the gospel. He says he saw this, the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, the older one, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, still lying there in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. Look at that. He saw and believed. Then the very next thing it says in parenthesis, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I find that fascinating. I want you to come back on screen with me here. I find that fascinating because look at this. It says they saw and believed. And I think this speaks to some of you out there because they saw and believed. But then in parenthesis in the brackets, it says they did not understand the scriptures about Jesus rising from the dead, but they still believe. And I think there's some of you who've been tuning into some of our broadcasts and you've been sensing while you're sitting in the room, you've been sensing this is the first time you've had a proper interaction with any Christian group, any community of faith, any church, if you prefer that term, online. But you've been sensing God pulling you towards him. You've been feeling and sensing God's spirit, I believe, in the room with you, letting you know that he's with you and that he wants a full relationship with you. But you're telling yourself, yeah, but you don't know much about Bible. You don't know much about scripture. Well, look at these guys. These are the disciples. It says they believed even though they did not understand scripture. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew, the original languages of the Bible. You don't need to be a, a scholar in the Bible. You don't need to be a specialist with scripture. That's the pastor's job. That's the preacher's job. All you need to do, here's your job, is just walk forward with your belief. Fulfill your belief by reaching out and we'll help you understand how you can become a follower of Christ and step into relationship with him. I love these two scriptures and here's what I really want to give a reflection on today. If I was to give today a title, here's what I'd call it. I want you to look at your neighbor. If you've got a neighbor, someone, I say your neighbor, the person nearest to you in the room. If you're watching by yourself, just look back at me on screen and just say these words, say, I'm changing. I'm changing. Look at the person next to you. If you're in the room with somebody, say, wait, 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 I'm changing. I'm going through some changes. I'm going through some changes. Yes, because that's what this dispensation, this season is about. It's about changes, 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 changes. And I want you to look at change as a important thing during this season. And what I'd begin with before we go any further is really I'd begin with the gospel in terms of what we describe as the passion story. Some of you remember Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, and how popular and successful that film was. All the things that Mel was able to accomplish through that film is a wonderful, magnificent portrayal of the uh, gospel concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But listen, this is important for us because I think before we go any further, we have to recognize something that I think we're all waking up to. And I think we're all waking up to the, you know, being in isolation like this has kind of woken us up to the fact that, you know what, there's more to life than stuff. God is not against stuff. He's not against stuff, but there's more to life than the car, the pay rise, the job, the degree that you have. There's more to life than all of that you've been leaning on. And that's why it's important for us to make sure that we're sorted, we're taken care of, we're at peace internally with what happens after this life. You know, the gospel story, let's be real. Let's be real. It's an ugly story at the beginning, at the very least. 
It's an ugly story because it's full of gore and blood. And, you know, we're talking about a human being who went through the Roman capital punishment of the day of crucifixion. That's what they did to criminals. He was killed. He was crucified. It was a it was a bloody mess. It was messy blood all over. The, it's just not what we're used to with our 21st century, especially Western ears and eyes. But that's what Jesus went through for us. And what's interesting is that although the, the beginning is quite ugly, it's an ugly beginning in terms of the story, it produces something magnificent and something beautiful. It produces resurrection. Now, I know I'm going to sound slightly misogynistic. I mentioned this on Good Friday, and I'm glad I didn't get in too much trouble about it. But it reminds me of things like birth, because birth, let's be real, birth is not, in terms of the process, is not the most beautiful thing. It's a bit messy. It's a bit ugly. It's a bit bloody. Uh, but what birth produces is magnificent. The life birth produces is magnificent and beautiful. And so it is with life in general. Life in general, often you have to go through the ugly to get to the beauty. You have to go through the negative before you often see the positive. And I think the gospel story does a couple of things. Number one, of course, the gospel story gives us the purpose of why Jesus died, buried and was buried and rose again. The purpose was for us to be able to have our sins paid for so that we then eventually get eternal life. And once that eternal life manifests after this life, once that eternal life manifests, once we get to live it out, it will be death free. It will be virus free. It will be problem free. It will be pain free. That's what the scriptures teach us. And that's what we look forward to as our ultimate eternal hope. That's the purpose. But I don't just think there's purpose in terms of this story, in terms of the picture that we get from the gospels. I also think there are principles. There's the full purpose. That's the primary reason Jesus died. Of course, that's the main reason. That's what we celebrate this weekend. The fact that Jesus died, was buried and rose again so that we would have eternal life. That's the primary purpose. That life free of all problems, free of all negativity. But there's also principles. Principles that teach us about process. Listen to me. I want you to hear this because I know this is not popular teaching, but there are principles to process. See, we're in a generation that is a generation, I believe, of entitlement. People think they should just get blessed, get stuff, have the greatest, move to their next level. No problem. Problem free. No drama. No process. But everything of value has to go through a process. And I think the principles that we get from the story, we can learn from today. And I want to pick up some of those principles because I think we get some principles concerning process. See, the ultimate thing Jesus gets is Sunday morning resurrection. Resurrection. That's what he goes through. He goes through what I call, watch this now, the three C's. If the resurrection is the crowning moment, keyword, the crowning moment of Jesus's uh, passion weekend, the passion weekend, what we call Mel Gibson, I told you, calls it the passion of Christ, where he went through his death, burial and resurrection. The resurrection is the crowning moment. Before he got to that crowning moment, he had to go through two other things. See, it's what I call, it's what I call Christ in 3C. There was the cross, there was the cave, then there was the crown. The cross, the cave, then the crown. The cross, the cave, then the crown. He didn't just go straight to the crown. There had to be a cross before he had to get to the crown. There had to be a cross before he got to the crown. And in between the cross and the crown, there was what I call the cave. That's what the tomb was. It's interesting. Let's begin by talking about the cross real quick, because I think it's worth us noting that, listen to me, a week ago, those of you who were tuned in to Tab at Home online a week ago, you'll remember a week ago we celebrated. What did we celebrate? Somebody shout it out. It's called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. That's right. Palm Sunday. <clears throat> a week ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday where they got the palm branches down when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. That's in the story, in the story of the life of Christ. He rode into Jerusalem, which was a mark 
ark that proved he was the Messiah fulfilling Old Testament prophecy uh, that you'll find in Zechariah 9 and 9 that was spoken of hundreds of years ago before, hundreds of years before I should say, concerning the Messiah. One of the signs of the Messiah is that he would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. A colt is a young donkey. We talked about that last week. But watch this, that was a week ago. A week ago, Jesus rode in, he rode into Jerusalem, according to the story, on a cult. This week, he's on a cross. Last week, he's on a cult and there were crowds screaming Hosanna, throwing their clothes down in celebration and reverence, bigging Jesus up, so to speak, using their palm branches to celebrate him, to wave in the air, to throw on the floor, creating a carpet of, of celebration for him and that cult to ride in. So a week ago, he was on a cult. Today, Today is, of course, Resurrection Sunday, but before he got to the crown, there was a cross. A week ago, there was a cult, and then there was a cross. A lot can happen in a week. He goes from riding on a cult, listen, riding on a cult to, to being killed on a cross. When he was on the cult, please don't miss this. When he was on the cult, when he was on the cult, what happened on the cult? He's on the cult riding into Jerusalem. He's on the cult, and there are crowds. This week, he's on a cross, and there's no crowds. There were no crowds this weekend. If you study the story, you'll realize there was only John, the same guy who wrote the gospel. There's only John and a few of the ladies who followed Jesus' ministry. Throw it up on screen. You'll see it on screen right now. It says John. It says only John. Look there, look there. Only John. And, and, and it talks about a few of the women who were there during Jesus' most, most terrifying hour. The time when he really needed, he really needed his crew around him. And this is the difference. Watch this now. I'm going to talk about this in a while because I think it's interesting for us to realize a week ago he was on a cult and there was a crowd. Now he's on a cross and there's no crowd because I found this out. Here we go. Get ready. Watch this now. And some of you, if you've ever experienced it, I need you to hit some likes, hit some fires when I drop this because it's important for us to remember crosses clear crowds cross the cross is your time of suffering your time of difficulty everybody's with you all the crowd with you everybody wants to be your friend when you're on top when everything's going well when everything's successful when you're being celebrated oh that's when the crowd is there but wait for you to go through your cross experience when you have to carry your cross that's when you'll find the crowds are cleared out crosses clear crowds and I'm kind of glad about that Here's why I'm kind of glad about it in a way. It sounds negative initially, but here's why I'm kind of glad because here's what happens. Here's what happens. See, when, when, when you go through your cross experience, it lets you know the difference. Watch this now between the crowd and the crew. It lets you know the difference between your crowd and the crew. The crowd is the people who are just around you for what they can get. They're just around you because it's popular. What's going on in your life right now? They're all right hanging with you while you've got success. But the crew, the crew are the people who are your ride or dies, as we say. They're the people who are going to be with you no matter what happens. They're the people who bring purpose. You know what they bring to your table. The other thing I want to mention here as we talk about the cross is not only does the cross clear crowds, not only will the cross show you the difference between your crowd and your crew, but something else that's interesting here to me Jesus was actually crucified the cross was on a place in the Latin of course the Roman language of the time or at least the official Roman language juxtaposed to the language of the people in that area of Palestine called the Aramaic language you see you see the cross was on a place called Calvary the cross was on a place called Calvary but in the people's language of the time the Aramaic it's known as watch this now Golgotha Put it up on screen for me, screen team, please. Golgotha. Put Golgotha up. I want you to see what the definition is there. Look at that definition. Look at the definition. Everybody, look at that definition of Golgotha. The definition of Golgotha is what? It's the place of the skull. Now, that sounds crazy. Here's why they called it that. 
The traditional belief as to why they call it the Plains of the Skull. And some of you came with me. I brought over 100 people. I was so honored and so privileged to have over 100 people join me on an Israel tour just a couple of years ago. And we went to this site. And when you look at it, if you look at it from a certain angle, you'll see that over years of erosion, what's happened is the erosion has caused there to be almost like the shape of a skull in the hill of Calvary, of Golgotha. So they called it Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now, why is that important? Why am I mentioning that? Am I start trying to sound deep? No, I'm trying to mention that because I think there's, there's some lessons we can learn in the name. That place was called Golgotha and that's the place it was predestined for Jesus to be crucified. If Jesus' crucifixion, his death brings us freedom, if his death brings us freedom from all our past, all our negativity, all our disobedience to God's word and his will and our sins, if his death brings us freedom from having to pay the price because he paid the price, if his death brings us freedom and his death took place at the place of the skull, it teaches me something there and that's this, watch this now, that if you're really going to get freedom, freedom begins in your mind, it begins in your head, the place of the skull, the skull is the head and in your head is your mind and it begins with your mind. If you don't start thinking better, you'll never do better. And I believe that's why God's got us again in this season. He doesn't cause these seasons, but he uses these seasons. He's going to use this season for us to start thinking differently, for us to understand that the old negative mentalities that we used to have that were no good for many of us, this is a time for us to have our minds renewed. In fact, this is a very potent scripture. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. So in other words, God wants to work on our head first. If you're going to come out of your old life, your old mentalities, your old addictions, your old relationships, you're going to have to come out head first. It's at the place of the skull. You're going to have to come out with your thinking first. You're going to have to start thinking differently. And that starts with sometimes you being isolated. You've got to have isolation for your mind to have liberation from all of the distractions that normally come into your life with people who have bad intentions. And I believe that God's going to use this season to set us free. All of us need to be freed from some area of negative thinking. And God can use this season to do that. Let me tell you something about that head first situation. You know, even those of you who are involved in maternity, and those of you are maternity nurses, those of you are midwives, those of you understand gestation and child development inside the womb, you know there's one thing everybody wants to happen at the birth. At the birth, everybody wants to make sure that the child comes out head first. In other words, whenever you go to your next dimension, you have to go head first. And I think that's a picture. That's a picture to us of the fact that God wants us to start thinking right before he takes us to the right place, before he takes us to the next place. In other words, watch this now. There are many of us who have been asking God for blessing. Bless me with this. Bless me with that. You know, take me to this place. Take me to that level. God wants you want God to blow your mind. But I found out that God will always grow your mind before he blows your mind. God will always allow your mind to develop. You have to start thinking differently. It was at the place of the skull, Golgotha that Jesus set us free. But remember this, he still didn't just go from there to the crown. He didn't go from the cross to the crown. There was this middle season, this middle season I want to talk about just for a moment, this middle season, and this middle season is what we call the cave. You see, most of us, we, we know Jesus was buried in a grave, but the grave was actually really a cave. Put that picture up on screen, that picture on screen there, thank you. It was really a cave. That's, it, was, it was a cave, and these caves were the tombs. This was the tombs that people used back then. And it's interesting, Jesus was buried. Watch this now. He was buried and I've been there to the site where they believe was the, the uh, tomb of Jesus. And they believe it's empty, by the way. I should, I should say that it's empty. In other words, he's risen. 
And I want you to recognize this because it's interesting to me at the very least, the fact that uh, Jesus now is has to go before he goes to the crown, before he goes to this resurrection season, this resurrection moment, he has to go even himself through a season of isolation in the tomb. And I believe that room that you've been stuck in, that room, that house, that place you've been stuck in during this season is, is not going to be a tomb. It's not a place that means the end. It's a place that means it's a room. It's a room for, watch this, here we go to the title of today, The Change. Your change is going to happen in that room that you're in, your thinking. If you allow that room to just be something that means it's final, I'm never going to move to my next level. I'm, not going to, I'm never going to become any more than what my life has given to me right now. Then that place will become a tomb rather than a room. You know, Jesus is interesting to me. Watch this now. Please don't miss this. I, I love this, this picture here. Jesus was, was buried. Those of you who know church history know the history of the gospel here. Jesus was actually buried in a borrowed tomb. It belonged to a guy, a, a kind of secret follower of Jesus called Joseph from a place called Arimathea. And Joseph lends Jesus his own tomb. Now, it's interesting. Who borrows a tomb? Let me tell you who borrows a tomb. Somebody who realizes that a tomb is not final. In other words, Jesus was borrowing the tomb because he knew that, watch this, and I want you to catch this, death is not final for God's people. Tombs are not permanent for God's people. I want you to put that on screen right now. Put it up big so everybody remembers. Tombs are not permanent for God's people. I'm going to say that one more time. Tombs are not permanent for God's people. In other words, when you've got Christ in you, when you've got Jesus, you've got the resurrection in you. And when you've got Jesus, once Jesus shows up, everything has to get up. And I'm not just talking about literal death. I'm talking about any dead situation you find yourself in, any negative situation you find yourself in. If you have Jesus, you will rise. And I don't know what negative dead situation you find yourself in right now, but I'm telling you, if you've got Christ in you, it's not permanent. I love this, the fact that in the grave, watch this now, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, I need you to understand what this tomb represents to us and that room that you're in represents to you because that tomb became a room for Jesus's transformation. That tomb became a room for Jesus's resurrection, for his change. Now, watch this now, please don't miss it because everybody has to go through a season of isolation. We talked about it on Good Friday, how even the children of Israel, the Hebrews, before they came out of slavery in Egypt, God said to them, stay in isolation in the house. And I think God's saying to us in this season, this season of isolation is so that we have our moment of transformation. Watch that now. Because anybody who does not go through their season of isolation, and one of the greatest examples of, of isolation, of going through your season of being alone, is, is the butterfly. Remember the butterfly, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That that crawled on the ground eventually becomes something that goes into the sky, but it has to go through a season of isolation in that thing called the cocoon. This is interesting to me because as Jesus, as Jesus comes out of the tomb, John and Peter, the oldest and the youngest disciple, they find something in the tomb. Now watch what they find. They don't find a body. Look at your neighbor and say they don't find a body. They don't find a body, but what do they find? They find, please don't miss this, they find clothes. They find clothes. They find the grave clothes, the strips of linen that were wrapped up, that wrapped up the dead body. The same thing and juxtapose that, juxtapose that, compare that with Jesus's obsession after Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
Jesus's obsession seemed to be after Lazarus was raised from the dead. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead and then say to everybody, come on, everybody, let's have a celebration. Lazarus who was dead is alive. Let's give God glory. Let's go and have a party. No, no, no. The first thing he was obsessed with was this. Watch this. Don't miss it. He said, take his grave clothes off. In other words, I think we've got a picture here of what God is concerned with before we walk into our new life and walk into our future. Before Jesus even went any further, he wanted the disciples to see, number one, the fact that his body had definitely not been stolen because no thief, no thief would have stolen the body and left the grave closed. There ain't no time for that. What Jesus leaves as evidence of his resurrection, number one, is the grave clothes. But I think it's also a picture to us of the fact that you can't go to your next level looking like your previous level. You can't go into your future looking like your past. And some of us are trying to date our future while still in a relationship with our past. And I'm not talking about a person per se. I'm talking about a mentality, a mindset. I'm talking about an emotional uh, attachment. I'm talking about some things that are no good for our next level. And God wants us to strip ourselves of those things. He said to them, tell Tell the people around Lazarus to take the grave clothes off of him. Let's put that scripture back up there. Look at that. Look at that scripture. It shows us here. He says, tell them to take the grave clothes off, loose him and let him go. Before he can go into his future, he can't go into a place of life smelling like death. He can't go into a place of future smelling like the past. Get those clothes off of him. And I think this is our season. When Lazarus came out of that tomb, which became a room, became a changing room for him to go to a new life. When Jesus rise, rises from the dead, he rose from the dead and left the grave clothes. I think there's something in that grave clothes picture that lets us know that this is the moment for you to get changed. For you to actually take off the old mentalities, the old relationships. And have you not realized the moment you decide that you're going to go to a new life and a new level, that's when the enemy, and there is a real enemy of our soul, we believe it's the devil, he comes to you with your past. The devil only brings up your past when he's afraid of your future. Today you are changing. I'm, look at your neighbor and say, I'm changing. I'm changing. I'm done with that old mentality. I'm done with those old habits. I'm done with that old lifestyle. I'm done with those old addictions. I'm changing. If Jesus rose from the dead, I need Jesus in me to help me rise from my old life. I want us to recognize today on Resurrection Sunday that this is your change. There are some of you, you right, you right there watching me sitting on your sofa. You're sitting on your sofa, you've got your legs up and you're sitting there and you know that God has been speaking to you about change and this situation happening around the world has woken you up. And I want to lead you all in a prayer right now. And this is a prayer of change and I want everybody who, who senses that God wants some change in their life, he wants them to come closer to him. Even if you're a Christ follower, you're already a Christian, but you know, you know, you've been distracted. You've been, you've been lazy with your, with your obedience to Christ's lordship. You've been kind of messed up in terms of some of your attention. You've been given the wrong thing attention and you realize that it's time for you to kind of wake up. I want you to pray with me as well. Just lift your hands where you are. If you can lift your hands, if you can lift your hands, father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this day where you rose from the dead, showing us that death is not final for God's people. Father, and that doesn't just speak of physical death. It speaks of spiritual death. It also speaks of situations that seem dead.
situations that seem there's never going to be any hope. We're never going to rise from this. If we have the resurrection, you are the resurrection, Jesus. If we've got you in us, then we too will rise from every dead situation. I pray God for everybody who listened and watched this broadcast that their lives will never be the same again. That because of what they heard here, they realize they are going through the changes. Today they must begin to change. I'm changing. I'm changing. I'm changing, they're saying to themselves. And Father, I pray that we won't waste this season. And ultimately we'll begin to live out the destiny that you originally designed for us. We say thank you for the privilege of honoring the fact that you rose from the dead today and what that resurrection means to us. In Jesus' name, somebody just say amen.